And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. Yeah, great question. You are the power. And you do not need anybody's permission. Great question. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. That is literally a brilliant question. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, our show will not be focusing on the metaphysical. It'll be focusing on the mentality of preparedness. Our featured guest tonight, I don't believe he's ever done a previous media appearance. I discovered him on YouTube, and when I see certain individuals, sometimes I get an incredible, like, strong gut feeling to reach out to them. And I saw an image of this uh, individual, and I just knew instantaneously that I had to interview him without even really knowing who he was. And then when I came to discover what his program and his show was about on YouTube, which is very popular... I said, this is going to be a perfect person for a program because he's one of those individuals who I believe is part of that um, battle for humanity, part of the people that are here to maybe shed some light, bring some peace into this world. They may not necessarily be talking about metaphysical concepts, but their presence and their compassion and their skill set and their teachings, I believe, are here to help. Now, again, focus is on preparedness, disaster preparedness. You know how many times we've discussed in our show about the coming economic collapse, and we're not going to rehash everything and go through it all again. But if we were not looking aside from the coming collapse and we're looking at our culture in general, we're very vulnerable. A lot of people don't have the skills that previous generations did. Most people don't grow food on their own properties. Most people do not generate their own electricity. I mean, if the power goes down even for an hour or even cable goes down people get really agitated and upset so we're not the same people that our ancestors were and what does that mean it means that our way of life could be disrupted dramatically with very little i mean if the grid goes down even for a couple days imagine how awful that would be so there are some people who are listening on this program tonight that are in the prepper survivalist type community, and they're probably wondering, what is this interview doing on a quote-unquote metaphysical or spiritual program? Well, believe it or not, I think that people who have a prepper survivalist mindset probably have more in common with the spiritual seekers than they can possibly imagine. And one of those things that they have in common, I believe, it's the fact that for whatever reason, they are driven to take action to survive, that they sense or feel something is happening. And I think that there are certain people who are on the planet right now that are specifically aware about it because something is probably coming. So they probably have, you probably have a greater purpose in your life. And the reason why I think survivalists and preppers would probably get along really good with people and spiritual seekers is because you're open-minded probably more inclined to think about things that others haven't thought of. You're probably more willing to tolerate other people or you just have a different mentality, a different frequency. You're not locked in the um, matrix of control, shall we say, or the cognitive dissonance that we see a lot in our culture. 
So I encourage people from both communities. I hope you can start to interact with each other, talk to each other. I'm sure you're going to be surprised at how much you have in common. And I believe that both mentalities can complement each other in a number of different ways, and they can help each other. So let us begin our featured program. Joining us now is Mr. Edward Carswell. He is the founder of a phenomenal YouTube channel called Prepper Nurse One. You can learn more about him by going to his YouTube channel, Prepper Nurse One, and that's at the actual number one, and the website, PrepperNurseOne.com. Mr. Carswell, welcome to the program. It's a great pleasure to have you with us today, sir. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you. I discovered your channel about a week ago, and I found it really fascinating because there are a lot of channels out there that talk about preparedness and what to do in case of a disaster. And I thought you were very unique because you were very calm. You had this unique way of just addressing things that people are very terrified of, but you're talking about it in a realistic manner. I was wondering, from your perspective, why do you address things like that? Do you find that is it better to be calm to address things? Do you find that it's better to communicate things in a calm manner? Or do you find that sometimes you get a better reaction when you are presenting yourself as scary, when you are presenting yourself as uncertain? What is a more effective way of communicating? Why do you communicate to your audience the way that you do? Okay, well, i got a great way to, to explain that. If I'm running around like Chicken Little, saying that the sky is falling who's going to listen to that okay nobody because they're going to be like this person is out of their mind and they're not making any kind of sense but if you approach any topic or any subject in a very rational manner and explain things in a rational way people are going to have a tendency to listen more and they might have had that thing gnawing in their back of their mind that they were thinking about it but when uh, fear mongering and fear porn if you will I don't think this is effective. I think if you stay calm and explain things and why that they should do different things, I think it's much more effective. All right. If you are somebody who's never heard of prepping before, who has no idea what it's like, maybe you've seen some show and they're considering, what do you think are the number, top of reasons why you should have a preparedness mentality? The number, well, the number one reason I would say. As a parent, let's let's go with that aspect of it because so many of, of us out there are parents and we have children or grandchildren. And uh, so let's go from that aspect of it. The reason that you should prepare, even if you just do a two-week supply of food and water, if you don't do anything else, you, it gives you an advantage over 95% of the people in this country because 95% of the people in the United States are not prepared for a two-week disaster. And if you have children, to me, as a parent, how could I look my children in the eye and say, I wasn't smart enough to think ahead to prepare in case of an emergency to take care of you? I mean, I, I couldn't do that as a parent. And I think that a lot of people need to look at it from that aspect. That's really, And when it comes to the, the preparation, why do you think so many people just have that lax mentality? Because... I don't understand. I mean, I'll, I'll talk to you in a minute about where I see collective humanity going, but just on the surface, it seems the only time people want to prepare is if they see something in the news about a weather-related disaster, and then everyone rushes to the grocery store, and it, it's like they never – They wait to the last minute. Yeah, wait right. to the last minute, and they never realize the lesson saying, well, when a real disaster strikes, what, do you think this is not going to repeat? Do you think they were all going to be you know, collectively working together? I don't think so. So I just don't understand why more people don't have a mentality like that. 
I think that what it is, like when you had shows like Doomsday Preppers, it painted preppers and people that are prepared-mindedness in a very negative light. So a lot of people think, oh, if you do that type of stuff, you're crazy and it's not smart. And so, and, and the other thing is I think a lot of people just are blissfully unaware. They would rather have the rose-colored glasses on and think everything's going to be fine and the government is always going to take care of me and I don't have to worry about anything. It's somebody else will take care of it. And that's just so unrealistic to think that way, especially, like I said, in the United States, we have disaster after disaster after disaster every year, year-round, and it happens every year all across the country. And it just it, – it, it, the people that don't prepare for that, they think that the government is going to save them somebody else will take care of it, that they don't have to worry about it. That's just, that's insane thinking because, you know, first of all, we never know what's going to happen, but to be prepared for those things is just so much more prudent. And then you really, it takes a lot of that stress off of you as a person. But I think a lot of people want to walk around with the rose colored glasses on and just not think about things. So they will, they'll just leave it for somebody else to take care of. Is the drive for you, to do your channel, which, by the way, let's discuss your channel for one second. You do videos on a regular basis, and you get videos that have 19, 20,000, several thousand, even 100,000 views. So you're really connecting with an audience. I think it's wonderful because, again, you know, when I watch your videos, you're calm. There's no, there's no hatred there. You don't, you don't have this anger directing it towards people. So it's, it's peaceful. So I'm glad it's really connecting with people. But as far as what's driving you to prepare to do this channel are you doing it because this is a natural mentality that you have or are you driven because you genuinely feel that there is a disaster that's going to be coming are you are you more convinced that there's a disaster that will be coming or are you doing it because you know what if something happens well my my thing is i i believe that there will be a major event of some sort and i can't say okay it's going to be this or it's going to be that there's so many different scenarios that could possibly happen. And I believe, I, I, like I said, it's a, uh, a philosophy that uh, I would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Because I just, for me personally, again, I'm going to go back again to my children. I couldn't look my kids in the eyes and say that I didn't prepare enough to think about, you know, making sure you guys had food and water and, and you know, power or, and all those type of things that are just most people just take for granted. They don't even think about it because we've always had it, you know, in this country. But anything can change in the blink of an eye. And so for me, it, in, in the drive to, to try to educate people is because being a nurse myself, and I've been in nursing um, 29 years, I was a nursing assistant for five years, and I've been a nurse for 24. Uh, I help people. I take care of people. That's what I do for a living. So it's just it's a natural transition to me with the prepping mindset and, and the preparedness mindset and, and also wanting to live off grid and try to be as free as I possibly can be to try to show other people and help other people that, you know what, this is possible, especially in this day and age where everything continues to go up and up and up in price. Nothing continues to go down. Everything goes up. People are stressed out to the max. And, you know, it's like if you can give yourself some form of peace of mind, that's what I want to try to give to people. And when it comes to disasters, are there any, maybe one or three disasters in recent memory 
natural events or even nations where having a prepper mindset probably would have saved your life and the life of your family. Well, I mean, let's go let's go back to the one that actually woke me up, which was Hurricane Katrina. Okay, down that hit New Orleans and and uh, the amount of people that died down there and that weren't ready that stayed when they were told they should leave. And, you know, a lot of people suffered. Uh, a lot of the tragedies that happened in the Superdome down there that wasn't talked about afterwards with the rapes and the murders and, and those type of things. If you are prepared, you know, like I said, with, with, for those type of situations, that, and it could be something that might not happen for 10 years, you know, I mean, but, but the thing is, it's like, that would be that would be a, a huge thing. Now we can go over to Haiti and talk about that major earthquake that happened down in Haiti. And what would I think a couple hundred thousand people died because of that one? And then they had to do a huge humanitarian aid thing just to help the rest of the people. You know, if you help yourself, it puts you in a better position to help other people. And that's that's really like I said for me that's that that's the big thing. And like I said, and you have. Disaster after disaster all over the world happening all the time. And I, I think it's more in the for, forefront these days because of social media. And, um, you know, everybody, you know, the, the world is so connected now that where, you know, 200 years ago, you didn't hear about the earthquake that hit China until maybe a year later. You know, so, I mean, so it, it's those are the type of things that really galvanize me to get really going you know with those type of things i remember when hurricane sandy hit i was from new york and i was living in connecticut at the time and i just it was amazing how people were riding within a day over gas and if you observe america just let's just focus on america right now america now compared to where america was 10 or 20 years ago what have you observed about the people do you think that the people are more civil are they less civil are they more intelligent? Are they less intelligent? Are they more capable of critical thinking skills, or are they less capable of thinking for themselves and more dependent on other people? I'm just curious what your perspective. I is. think that my perspective of that is I think we are way less civil than we were even 20 years ago. Uh, you know, there is a lot of great people out there. Let me just say that to begin with. There's a lot of fantastic, wonderful people that are willing to help people that that are you know or there for an emergency or whatnot and stuff like that. But unfortunately, I see our society now is a me, me, me society. Let me have everything, and I don't want to work for anything, and I deserve it, and I want it. That's the mindset of a lot of these people. But a lot of that comes from, and they call it, you know, uh, like with television, it's programming because it is programming. They're taught that you should have this and you should want this. And, and the thing is, if people really look at what's important, really, truly important, that's family, okay? And you can't pick your family. You can pick your friends. And sometimes your friends are better than family. But, you know, I, I have people that I consider my brothers that are not family. But I would take my shirt off my back to help them, and they would do the same for me, okay? But, you know, it's the mindset of people because they are just following what they're told. They don't think for themselves anymore. They don't critically think. They don't sit there and go, okay, let me let me analyze this. Let me look at this. Is, is this really real or is this, okay, because they said it on TV, it's got to be real. Or they said it on the Internet, so it's got to be real. You know, they just, they don't want to think for themselves. And, and that's actually pretty sad because I always encourage people, 
do your research, find out, look things up. Don't don't just take everything for uh, you know the truth because somebody said so. I agree. I find it really strange that I think that people who are speaking a truth, if you you're coming up, you're speaking things in a rational type manner. You, you sometimes you, people will think you're sounding insane, and it's weird. I'm, I'm sure you've probably have gone through this when you're talking to other people and they have no idea what you're talking about, and you're saying this in a logical fashion, and you're like, oh, how could you not grasp this? I mean, how could you not grasp some of these basic concepts, like you know, the mentality of just pre- preparing? And when we first started uh, talking. I would imagine that you probably had some reservations um, of, of who I was and I was reaching out to you. So I want to ask you two questions. One, how do you quickly assess someone? How do you how do you seize them up? Or what are some of the things that you're doing? What are some of the things that people should learn from how you quickly assess someone? Well, for me, a lot of times, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I go with my gut. Okay. I Honestly, I, I listen to my gut feelings a lot because they're never wrong. And so it's like if I'm talking to somebody and I feel like um, somebody's full of, you know, garbage, <laughs> let's, I'll, I'll, use a, I'll use a nice word. Um, if, if I think that they're full of garbage, I'm, I'm not going to bother with that type of a person, you know. And you can usually tell who's trying to pull the blinds over your eyes or who's actually wants to be somebody that wants to listen and, and learn and, you know, or, or they have information that they want to share that, you know, you go, wow, that's pretty cool, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's one of the things that, that I do is uh, on everybody. I take everybody on an individual basis, you know. I mean, there's like so many, off, like I said, again, there's so many awesome people in this country, um, regardless of race, religion, or, or whatever, that, you know, if you if you, people would look at people more in that aspect and going, oh, wait a minute, that guy's wearing a turban, so he's got to be a terrorist. You know, I mean, that's just – because that's part of the programming. Again, you know, not every person that is Muslim is going to be a terrorist. It's just not. It's just real. You know, that's unrealistic thinking. But unfortunately, um, in our country, that's the mentality these days with a lot of people. Unfortunately. Now, and again, let me just re-say this again. There is a lot of fantastic people out there, giving, loving, will help anybody. But unfortunately, I, as I get older, and I'm 53 now, so I mean I've been around for a while on this planet. The older I get, the less I see of that. The less I see of of Same people here. willing, you know, to 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 step up and to help people. Everybody, um, a lot of the people, especially the younger generation, and and, I, and and I hate to say this, and I'm not trying to throw this generation under the bus, but not all of them. Again, I will say not all of them, but there's a lot of the under 30 general generation that I call the entitlement generation. They are truly thinks, or they truly think that uh, they're owed something and that they shouldn't have to work for it. And they should come out of college and make a hundred thousand dollars a year. You know, I, it's just, I don't understand that thinking. I really, truly don't. I don't see any of that. It's a mentality. And for some reason, I don't know why, but socialism appears to have taken root in a lot of younger people in America. And I'm seeing it around worldwide and it never succeeds. I just don't understand why, People have the mentality, and when it comes to being dependent, there are some people who are dependent on the grid or not dependent. What do you think is a healthy balance between being completely independent and having some type of dependency on, you know, electrical grid or you know, cars and things like that? What do you, what would you find is a healthy balance between dependency and, and, and independency? 
Well, okay, so as far as like, with, with, with that, for me, it's like you're never going to be completely off the grid unless you are way out in the middle of nowhere and have no communication, um, you know, or anything with anybody, and you do everything, okay, for yourself. And uh, But, like, even, okay, let's, let's look at the people in Alaska that live remotely. They still have supplies flown into them, so they're still connected, even though they're live or they're living very remotely. You know, you you have to, in my opinion, you know, there's a healthy balance of we're part of the world, we're part of society. You still have to live your life. You can't live your life in fear. That that's the first thing I want to always tell people: is don't be living your life in fear, but at the same time, prepare yourself so that if and when something happens, because it's not always a matter of if, it's a matter of when. There's going to be that next disaster that happens. It may not happen to you directly, but it may affect you indirectly. So you, you need to live your life but not live in fear. Try to be as independent as you possibly can, because unfortunately, uh, if, even if you go back 50 years ago and look at the number of people that just had gardens, okay, so uh, they grew a lot of their own vegetables and they had fruit trees. If you go back... If, into the old Italian neighborhoods. Here's an example in, in New York. You're from New York, so am I. Yep. Um, I. I grew up in the Rochester area in New York, and we have a lot of Italians in that area. Well, if you'd go in their backyards, I mean, you'd have the you know the tomato plants, and you'd have you know your fruit trees, and everything would be you know. And, and a lot of people, not just Italians, but I'm just you know using that as an example. But the younger generations now, they don't do that anymore. They're not out there gardening. They're not having those gardens, so they're more reliant. Um, on other people to supply them their food. And what people don't understand that have never had that fresh tomato out of the garden that you grew yourself, the taste of that tomato is so much better than any store-bought tomato you ever had. I couldn't agree with you more. And when it comes to some basic preparations, what are, let's say, maybe five or ten food items that you, sh you could be storing in bulk that you could be doing right now. So say, for example, you know, if you don't want to go out and buy a bunch of them, but you could start, you know, building an assessment of a collection of, what would like be 10 items you should be stocking up on, food items-wise? Well, what I would do, is you're, you're going to want to get things that are going to be long-term food storage. That's really, really important, okay? So now you have to look at what are, what are your needs. What do you want? It, it always comes down to want and need and, of course, what we can afford. So one of the things that are really, really cheap that you can really get a lot of at a really cheap price is rice. And rice has uh, indefinite shelf life. It can last forever. Um, another one that you might want to put up, and, and this I would say if you're going to get this, you want to get it locally. You don't want to buy it in the grocery store, and that would be honey because honey will last forever. They pulled honey out of um, Tutankhamun's Commons tomb that was 2,000 years old and that was still edible. So, wow. I mean, you know, it, that gives you a good example of how long honey is going to be good for. Uh, so honey would be, and that gives you your, your sweets too and your natural sugars there that, that are out there in nature. And if you get honey that's locally, it's going to have a lot of the antibiotic properties because that's where the bees are getting all the trees and fruits and, and everything from your area and the plants. And so you're getting that, and it helps build your immune system up. Uh, another thing that I would say is is beans. Any kind of beans, it could be uh, split peas, lentils, it could be uh, black beans, you know, uh, pinto beans, any kind of beans like that. Those, again, very long shelf life, like about 30-year shelf life. Those are, that would be another one that would be really, really good to have. 
So um, there's there's three right there. So and another thing, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in diversifying your food storage because of the fact that you have, you know, um, a, a, a lot of different options. And if you just ate rice and beans every day after a while, you would want to lose your mind. So you want to have different options. So for me, what I what I do, and I'll kind of explain that real quick as far as, like, food storage, I have my canned goods. You know, canned goods you can get pretty cheaply, okay? So canned goods would be one thing. Um, you know, then you then you would want, like I said, your, your long-term food storage, like your dry beans and your rice and those type of things. And then you're going to want to go with some freeze-dried stuff. And, uh, like, um, you know, the, the freeze-dried stuff is probably the easiest way. It's kind of expensive, but if you look at it, it's got a 25-year shelf life. And you can put it away as long as it's in a cool, dark place. Now think about it. Pull that pouch out, add hot water, and you got a really good meal. Depending, like I said, some of the companies are better than others. And, you know, you have to make your own judgment on that. I mean, I, I have on my website, I do freeze-dried foods. So, you know, if people are interested, they could check that out. And I've done some reviews on it, you know. So I'm not going to recommend anything that I haven't tried myself and that I like. Or if I don't like something, I would be the first to say, yeah, I didn't like that. But, um so, you know, that's another thing you would want to add would be the freeze-dried foods. And, uh, you know, it's just having a, a vast variety, and it has to go by what you like, too. I mean, some people are not going to like black beans, for example, so you're not going to store up on something that you don't care for. So, you know, look at what you eat on a regular basis, look at it that way, and try to figure out what you want to try to, to, to store away. Uh, flour is kind of tough because it generally will last about a year and a half, but, I mean, if you like to have bread, you would want to probably have some flour, and you rotate it. Anything that you're going to do, too, that's the other thing, is rotation. So the last thing that you bought goes into the very back. You eat the oldest stuff first and just and put stuff into a regular rotation like that, and, and you'd be surprised how fast, you know, things can build up. If you Even if you go out and buy one or two extra cans or one extra, you know, uh, three-pound bag of beans or whatever, every week or every other week, people would be surprised how fast that builds up. That's really interesting. And I was really surprised. Well, I wasn't surprised, but I remember this thing that came out saying a lot of cereals were contaminated by the Monsanto. Uh, I don't know what it was. They, they put some kind of chemical in there. So a lot of these foods are contaminated. So how? what kind of foods can you store up that are going to be the freshest, that are going to be probably the least contaminated or have the least chances of having a GMO? Well, if, if you're going to do that, grow your own gardens again. That, that would, I would, first of all, I would tell anybody, grow your own food if you can and then can because that's going to be your best food possible. It really truly is. And the number one thing with any kind of garden, which a lot of people think, well, I got seeds and I've stored, because I have seeds, I have a ton of seeds, but soil is going to be the key. You've got to have good soil. If you don't have good soil, nothing's going to grow in that. I don't care what you do. And in practicing that now is so important in, in learning what works, what doesn't work, and uh, in rotating in the garden where you plant things every year. You don't keep planting the corn in the same rows year after year after year because that's not going to be good for the soil. Those are things you learn, you know. And, and, and let me say this, and if you have older people in your neighborhood, go to them. Glean as much knowledge as you possibly can from them because they are a wealth of knowledge because of life experience. Awesome. And a lot of people don't take advantage of that. Awesome. So what kind of questions would you ask them? Ask them what it was like, to, to, how did you got through previous hardships, what things were like? 
And what would you sit down if you had a chance to sit down and talk to someone? What would you ask them? Well, I'll tell you what. My grandparents, I'll give you a good example. I was I was raised by my grandparents. They were Depression-era children, okay? And they talked about the Great Depression and how bad things were and how hard things were. And so, you know, they told me those stories. I grew up in a home where we always had a pantry in the basement. So Grandma would say, go down and get me, you know, this or that. And they would have four or five jars of mayonnaise. And just, it, again, it was a rotation of stuff. So to me, growing up like that was really, really natural. And uh, But with the older people, if they any kind of skills that they had, if somebody was a shoemaker, talk to them, find out, find out what works, what doesn't work, how to make shoes. They would love to share that information with anybody that's willing to listen. I'm going to tell you, being a nurse and being working uh, a lot of geriatrics through the years, they love to share their knowledge. They love to have somebody to talk to, you know. And so take that time if you can and find out. Seek people out because, I mean, once they're gone, that knowledge is gone. And, uh, you know, it's and that's a really, really sad thing. And it's like that whole generation is going away. And the generation that's replacing them doesn't have those skills like they had. I don't know. It's because also the curiosity too. I, I don't understand. There's so much knowledge out there. Like we apparently we live in this golden era of information. Yet people still sit down and they they're playing you know these little apps on their phones. I'm like, why would you not want to seek out all these phenomenal teachers? I I don't understand, but I, I definitely want to seek them out. And from your perspective, were there any particular mentors or teachers that had a substantial impact in addition to your grandparents? And are there any authors? or any particular books that you read that had a real powerful impact on your life and uh, defined and shaped your consciousness? Um, several. <laughs> I mean, I, I, could go, I could go on and on and on. Sure, but, you let's know, hear it. This, well, it, it's just, I, as far as, like, books, I've, I've been devouring books since I was a child, and I got that love from my grandmother. And, uh, you know, I can remember sitting at the kitchen table with her as a child and I would have my milk and cookies in my book, and she would have her, her beer, and uh, she would have her book, and she would have her cigarette and smoking away there. You know, that's a generation. And uh, we would just sit there in silence and read. And, uh, you know, she it was just, like, very, very comfortable doing that. But anyway, it, you know, I, I have had some great teachers through the years. Um, I had a fifth-grade teacher named Mr. Abby who was absolutely fantastic. I had another teacher when I was in 10th grade called Mr. Cox, and it was C-O-X is how he spelled his name. Uh, he was fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's just th those type of people that you can look to that are willing and wanting to teach. And, and, and with, with anything, if you have somebody that's passionate about what they do, man, you should latch on to them and, and just learn as much as you possibly can. And, uh, you know, hearing different people speak and, and, and talks and, uh, you know, and, and, and those type of things through the years, it's like find people that inspire you. I mean, I, and it doesn't necessarily have to be prepping or living off grid. It's whatever your passion is. If you if your passion is art, find somebody that loves art like you love art and learn and, and, and get as much information as you possibly can. You know, uh, I, I will always encourage anybody to seek knowledge because it is just it, it's so awesome. And uh, but, you know, I. Uh, for, for myself, like I said, I, I've, I've read a lot, so you know I've, I've taken a lot of different things from uh, different books. There was an author, and I can't remember the name of the book, and it was weird how it kind of just came to me. And I and that and the book is gone now. I gave it to somebody else many years ago, but I, I, I got this book, and it was a guy who was a uh, 
an advisor for the government, and he lives in Colorado, and he's up in the mountains. He won't even disclose where he's at. But uh, one of the things that really got to me from his book, okay, that he said, if you are prepping and if you can do it, live at your retreat. He says, because if you have a bug-out location and you have plans to get to your bug-out location, you may not be able to get there with everything that you have and think about all the stuff at home that you would have to leave behind. But if you live at your retreat, everything is already there. And, man, I'll tell you what, for whatever, for me, that was like a lightning rod right into my head. And I'm like, I want to be at my retreat. I want to live at my retreat. And and that's what I made happen. And so, you know, and I had everybody and their brother telling me that I couldn't do it, too. And that's the other thing. Remember, that's another thing I want people to think about, too. When everybody tells you, you can't do this, you can't do that, prove them wrong. Because you know what? I, I love that. Whenever people yep. tell me you can't do that, I always say, watch me. <laughs> I, I walk into a room, I always tell my wife, she's like, there's no way you're going to make everyone in this room dislike you. I'm like, watch me, and five minutes later, we get kicked out of the place. I tell them, <laughs> believe, I believe, I can do it. <laughs> what That's it, funny. What, are there any um, other authors or types of books that generally engage you? Because you know, I'm asking you this because I'm trying to get an idea of your, you seem to have an in-depth critical thought process. So when you answer some of these questions, by the way, after that, at this question, I want to ask, I want to ask you some of the questions that you have been answering on your site. So are there any particular books that you think have had a real positive or profound impact on your critical thinking skills? Oh, man. Um, God, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, it's just I, I know with, with nursing school, we had to do a lot of critical thinking. So you had to always analyze things, think things through, what could the possibility be? Could it be this? Could it be that? And then you kind of take things out. So I think nursing school was a really a huge help for me as far as critical thinking because you have to. You know, you just can't say, oh, it's probably this or it's probably that because probably could get somebody killed. You know, so it's like you have to really analyze those types of, uh, of things. And um, so I think that was a, a, a huge part of where – the critical thinking comes from, and then you expand that into everyday life, you know, and you and you look at situations and you go, hmm, could this really be this way or could it be this way? So if you, you know, it, it, it's questioning everything, I think is probably the key, and, 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 and I always tell people this too, the only stupid question is the one that's not asked, because if you don't know or if you have a question about something, you should absolutely ask because, like I said, it's only stupid if you don't ask. Uh, well, plenty of questions to ask, and one of them is a lot of people are not going to have a bug out location. They're probably going to be in their area. So, I guess this is a two part question: is how should someone respond if they're in their local community, and how do you think the unprepared are going to respond after there's some kind of uh, major event like a collapse or a you know a pandemic or an EMP I'll tell you what the unprepared it will be a nightmare for people like that because they first of all the shock of something happening that oh my god I never thought this was going to happen has just happened so they're they're in shock to begin with okay uh then they're going to realize pretty quickly how I mean let, let's say it was an EMP I mean, let's go with that scenario and the power's out, okay? 
you know, now, you know, your house is not heated. Have you thought ahead? Do you have a wood stove? Do you have some way of staying warm? Do you have extra blankets if you can't afford a wood stove? You know, have you thought about maybe taking a room and, and covering over the windows to try to keep that room warm? You know, um, those are things that people, they, they just, they don't think about those type of things because they don't want to. But the people that realistically, if you don't have a bug out location, um, a lot of people don't, obviously, you know, if they can, while there's still time, try to hook up with people that do, you know, uh, and, and, and try to work together. And, and I think that a lot of people don't realize that there's people out there that will willingly help you if you'll help yourself first. And, and so if you are, if you're willing to put in some time to help somebody with their retreat and they'll, they'll make you part of it, you know, and, and they'll bring you on board and, and they'll help you. But once an event happens now, now we're in a time period that of, of it's going to be absolute insanity. Realistically, what I tell people is in an event, you've got a 72 hour window. That's the amount of time you got to get to where you want to be. And it's probably going to be less than that. So people just, um, the, the panic is going to set in. They're going to hit the stores and everybody else is going to hit the stores too. And you're going to see a lot of violence right in the beginning, just in grocery stores, because people are going to realize that they're not ready and they need to get food. And uh, once that food has gone out of the grocery stores, what are they going to do then? And if it's wintertime, let's say it's wintertime when that EMP hits, well, you're not going out foraging. You're not going to go out and hit the garden. You're not going to go out and hit the fruit trees because there's not going to be nothing on them, you know, especially in the northeast here. So, you know, um, there's going to be just a lot of people doing a lot of very sketchy things. And uh, think about this, and this, and this is one of the biggest things that I try to explain to people. Look how people react now with rule of law. We have rapes and murders and stabbings and robberies and everything every day now, okay? After an SHTF event with no rule of law and the drug addicts don't have their drugs no more because the supply is not there anymore and people are not having their psychotropic medications to keep them under control, what is it going to be like then? It will be a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And you want to be with a type of people that are going to help you get through that event. And uh, so that's why I'm a big proponent of being prepared. And what types of people – actually, wait, should we probably ask that question. Do you think that when an event like that happens that you're going to see a lot of people that are, are going to commit suicide before they even try to experience it or try to live through the event? Could you foresee that happening? Oh, absolutely. You're going to see a lot of people that will just give up and die. And then you say, well, how can you do that? Because people – it can happen. The will to live – they will not want to live in a world that they're not have all their little bells and whistles that they have now. They're not going to want to. And there will be a lot of suicides because people will be like, I've had just the, the mindset of some of the people even on my channel that have come to my channel and comment, well, why should I bother? I, you know, I'm this or I'm that, and I couldn't do it anyway. And I, and I just that is such a negative mindset because the will to, the will to live is so strong in people, and I think a lot of people underestimate that, that we will fight to the last – absolute fiber to try to survive because it's our nature to do so and so you know a lot of people you know like i said you're going to have a lot of people who are going to quit they're going to they're going to give up on life they're going to commit suicide or they're just going to die and you know they they all have you'll be like well why did this person die because they just quit you know but uh i think like i said it's 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 going to be a very horrific time 
it's going to be a, a terrible time because even good people are going to have to do bad things to survive. Because if somebody is coming to try to take from me or mine, uh, you know, in a bad way, then, you know, you're going to have to deal with that. And, and then you're going to have to wrap yourself around that in your mind, that acceptance of why did you do it and why did you, you know, why, why did that have to go down like that? But unfortunately, that's the real, that's the reality. You know, that is the reality. I see it happening. And if you are, if you're a person, you're looking around your world right now, what are some of the personality qualities of individuals in your life that you think are probably likely to, one, survive, want to have, want to survive, and also be good people to become friends with, want to link up to with? I mean, just, if we're talking just about personality qualities alone, what are some good people that you, that you would recommend, you know, becoming friends with, knowing that, when push comes on the shove, when there is a disaster, they're probably going to be the most uh, reliant upon people. You're going to want to look for stubborn people stubborn with a people. strong mindset. Stubborn people with a strong mindset because those are the people that will not give up. Those are the people that are going to say, you know what, let's let's get our hands dirty and get to it. You know, uh, you're going to want to look for motivated people, you know, self-motivated people. You're going to want to look for people that uh, – are open to change, you know, that are willing to say, okay, well, you know, this has happened. Now, now what do we do? How do we deal with it? And so you're, you're going to look for that type of person too. Uh, you're going to want to look for people. And, and I, and I hate to use the word morals, but you want to look for people that are, uh, you have to live by a code in life. Okay. So like w one of the things that I've always said, and it's like, and I've talked to some of the guys that are in my group and I said, I'll tell you right now, after an SHTF event happens and we have our group together and we're doing what we have to do to survive, if somebody in my group rapes somebody, I'll put them down myself because I'm not going to have that. I don't want that type of person. But if you've planned ahead of times and, and talked to these people and you can feel people out, people will show their true colors over time. That, that's one of the things I've always found too. People will always show their true colors over time. But I'm not going to have you know, somebody that's going to do that type of thing. I, you know, I mean, if you have to, unfortunately, I mean, let's be realistic. If you have to kill somebody to survive, if it's you or them, that's understandable. But just to kill somebody for the sake of killing somebody, no, that's not going to happen. You have to have some kind of a moral code, and you want to surround yourself with people that have that same kind of moral code. You know, if, if they're religious or not religious, that's really not as important, in my opinion, because, you know, I mean, if you if you have a relationship with God, fantastic. If you don't, that's okay, too. As long as you have, like I said, again, your moral compass is in the right direction and, you know, you, you, you're you not looking to hurt people or not tr try to take advantage of people. That That's that's a big thing for me personally. So those are the type of people that I want to, you know, have in my group. And I'm looking for family people, to be honest with you, too, because it's like if you have a family – you have something to live for. You have something to die for, too. Because, you know, I mean, I know for myself, my kids are my whole world. And I would give up my life happily for my children. If it was me or my kids, I would say take me because I've lived in my life, you know, and I want my kids to survive. So I want other people that have something to lose as well. So that and that's kind of a weird kind of thing to think about, but that's true. At least you're thinking about it. Some people will never come to their mindset. And speaking about that, I... My understanding is that you actually had a near-death experience. I was wondering if you can share that, what you learned from it, and how it changed your perception on life. 
Oh, it changed a lot in my life. Um, when I was 16, I had a near-death experience, and it was uh, it was an eye-opener for me because what happened was we were at a party, and, you know, everybody was drinking, and we were all teenagers and having a good time, you know. And uh, so I started wrestling around with this guy, and I just thought it was a fun wrestling around thing. And he ended up putting me in a chokehold. And all of a sudden, like, when, you see, when I see these videos on TV and the guy's going, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Uh, BS, he can breathe, because if you can talk, you can breathe. When you can't breathe, you can't talk. Okay, that's the bottom line on that, because I tried to speak and say I can't breathe, and nothing was coming out because I couldn't breathe. So all of a sudden, I mean, the first thing that uh, – it's complete and utter panic, complete panic. And then it's like I had to try to think, 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 what am I going to do? So I saw a buddy of mine sitting on the couch, and I was motioning to him with my arm. And, you know, he was drunk, too. And he was like, yeah, man, I see you. And I just, it was weird because after um, I accepted that, okay, well, this is my fate, a complete calmness and peace came over me, okay? And I just accepted it. Okay, I've done everything I can to fight this to try to survive, and I can't. There's nothing else I can do, so now I'm going to die. A calmness and a peace came over me. And the next thing that I remember, and I'll never forget this if, if I live to be 100 years old, if, and the best way to describe it is I tell people it was my mind and my eyes were in the corner of the room because I, was, I remember looking down in the room, and I'm looking at myself sitting on the floor and this guy kneeling behind me. I can tell you exactly how he was positioned behind me, which I would no way know that mm-hmm. if I hadn't seen it. And I was looking around the room, and I'm looking at everything, and I was like, my God, this is weird. But there was no fear. That was the biggest thing for me. There was absolutely no fear. And uh, so it was just I I was looking around, and I'm looking at myself, and he was continuously choking me. And uh, it was the calmness and the peace of it was just, it was fantastic. It was just, it was so, yeah, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, absolutely. You're, You're calm and peaceful. Yep, and then uh, so what happened was uh, my sister realized that what was going on. She made him let me go. My eyes rolled up into my head, and I went down on the ground, and they, they did bring me back. But ever since that experience happened, um, I've never had a fear of death because whatever happens next, it's nothing to be afraid of. And I do believe that there is something beyond this, okay? Some people want to call it heaven or hell. Um, I don't like the finality of that because of the fact that uh, – you know, I, I think that we're going to be judged on our actions in life overall. We all have done bad things. We've all done good things. But I, I, I think that if you are overall a decent person, whatever happens next, and I don't claim to know what it is, I don't think it's anything to be afraid of. That's uh, And do you, do you have a um, a certain are you part of a religion, or do you have a certain faith? That, I mean, and if so, does that have a sub- substantial impact on what motivates you? What drive you? Um, actually, I, I'm not religious. Um, I, I don't like organized religion, to be honest with you, because I, I personally feel organized religion is about three things, which is money, control, and power. Great. Um, you know, so I, I'm not a re- religious person in, the as- in that aspect. I consider myself more holistic, uh, more one with nature. When I'm in, like I said, when I'm in the woods, where I like, even where I live now, it's just, it's very peaceful and very calming. And so I don't need to go to a building to to feel that. I just can go out in nature. I can walk out here at night and I feel that. So, um, you know, my thing is this, and I tell this to everybody. Whatever you believe, 
if it gives you peace of mind, then I am absolutely 100% happy for you. I judge no one as far as that. If, if you if you want to be religious, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And if, like I said, if it gives you peace of mind, that's great. I just I don't need religion to give me that peace of mind because I already have it. Got it. And I just have a time for a couple more questions. And one of the questions oh. is, I just want to bring here. To, there are videos that you have that are very popular. The most popular video you have, it's gotten 1.4 million views. It's this one about FEMA camps. And people say, well, FEMA camps, and it, it usually people say, oh, it's a conspiracy. And this idea that the government is planning to put a large number of percentage of the population in camps. Uh, from your experience and what you've talked about, what you've known, addressed people, how true is that? And if it were true, let's say, for example, this show, how would they be able to get such a large portion of the population in those camps? You know, it's funny that you say that because it's like that is that is my most popular video, and I wish I could have said a couple of things differently in that video because people I've had people say, well, logistically, there's no way you're going to get 300 million people <laughs> in camps. And, and they're right, and they're right on that aspect. But the way you would do it, if, if, if I was the government and I really wanted to – uh, call the population, if you will, because there's too many people. Uh, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to have like a grid down event and blame it on terrorists or whoever. And you let the people just call themselves. And within a very, very short period of time, you would have a lot of the pop. And let's say a year. I'm thinking within a year, you would have maybe 10% of the population left on, this, on, on the United States. I mean, or if it was a worldwide event, you might be down to 10% of the people in the world. And what would happen after that? Then as your, your government agencies came out of their hidey holes that they have all under, underground everywhere all over this country, offering that help because they're looking for that, uh, that slave labor force basically will help you if you, you know, come in and we'll take care of you. And then that, that's how, that's a great way of controlling the population. You can always control the population with food. I don't care where you are because especially now with the lack of knowledge on how to grow your own crops. People just don't have it, so they would have no idea how to survive. See, what if that was done purposely? When I looked at the way the control mechanisms are out there, I feel like that they, their critical thinking is generational. They're thinking 20, 30, 100 years where people are so trapped in that present moment. And I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I feel like in America that we are rapidly ascending towards uh, the fascist police state. I mean, without any, any doubt, and... I don't know why people can't see it. Maybe they're in this great denial, but I feel like we're getting there quicker. And I'm wondering if we have an event, a major disaster, and we are leaning towards the fascism, what happens? What is reality like after that? Are we going to be able to have – do we have hyper-fascism, or do we have a chance where humanity will break off, at least in the U.S., and experience freedom because those, the government will not be able to sustain itself? I think what you would see happening in, in an event like that, and, and, and the fascism is definitely happening. If you look, you know, even 40 years ago, okay, let's look at Andy Taylor from, you know, uh, you know, the, the show. He was a nice Mr. Policeman are there to help people and stuff like that. Well, now you look at our police and are militarized. Yeah. I mean, they're they're loaded up with gear and they're rocking and rolling. And there's a lot of hatred for the police now, um, you know, from a lot of and for a lot of reasons. Some of it justified, some of it not. You know, but, uh, you know, you're giving people that much power and control that there's going to be an issue. And, and in a post-event, if it was a socialistic type of situation uh, where a, a police state, 
you know, people like me, we're gonna, I'm going to be a target because, you know, I, the government already has a mandate out right now that if they go into martial law, uh, I would be considered an enemy of the state because if you hoard more than two weeks worth of food, you're an enemy. You know, I mean, so really, you know, is that, 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 that's something oh, that they have. They, yeah, they have. They have that implemented. If you look that up right now, you would see that that you are considered a, a domestic terrorist uh, if you hoard more than two weeks worth of food. Yep. If, if they if they enact martial law, they could they have the legal right to come into my property and take all my food. Yep, they sure do. When it comes to this law thing, I always wonder, what happened? Why don't people have more of a spine? Why don't people, you know, acknowledge this? Because I'm facing a situation where I live where the, the local government, I mean, they're insane. They, they, they want to borrow a billion dollars to do projects that they already have, and they want to do this, and then they're going to be paying, like, you know, 20% to 40% of the budget is going to be on interest. And the, the insanity of these people, like, I don't understand. Like, I feel like they, you, you know, I, I don't believe, I cannot believe how stupid they are, how negligent they are and the people they're doing it but yet the people that are out there the, the voters they're not doing anything either so what do you think has happened with, with society why have they become so complacent and so just don't get so it. apathetic yeah so apathetic if you you know you know what would change you take away that big comfy chair that they sit in every night in the tv as my grandfather used to call it the idiot box <laughs> <laughs> that that uh, that's programming them to think whatever way that the government wants them to think. Take away their beer, take away their drugs, take away that refrigerator full of food. Then you'll see people do something. Until then, they're going to just sit there and let everything happen because it doesn't affect me and I don't care. That is the mental attitude of a lot of people in this country. Now, there's a lot of people that are definitely thinking differently, and more and more people are waking up every day. But there's a lot of apathy in this country, and, it's, and, the, and the apathy is, well, it doesn't affect me. I don't care, so I'm, I'm not going to do anything. You know, And so different laws are getting passed more and more and more that uh, is more controlling, that's taking away more of our rights. You know, the Patriot Act, people don't realize how much of our rights were taken horrifying. away from us. Horrifying. Yeah, and they have no idea, and they don't care. <laughs> you know, that's the sad thing. They just don't care. So, you know, it's like for me, I try to be as free as I possibly can be, and, you know, I, I just continue to get ready. And when something happens, and it's a matter of time of when, it's not a matter of if, when something happens, we will react appropriately at that time. Do you think, you know? do you think it's going to happen in your lifetime? I believe so, yes. Okay. I believe so, absolutely. All right. Well, I have a last things. I want to thank you so much for being with us today, Edward Carswell. And I want to just um, tell you something and ask you something. And the, the thing I want to tell you is it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. And I don't know if I'm going to survive this or the people around me are going to survive this, but I believe that you're probably in a better position to survive whatever disaster that happens and I hope that you do, and I hope that you can you know, carry on the best of humanity. When I say carry on the best of humanity, the thing I'd like to ask you is if, if you have the opportunity, please, I hope you can form the greatest society, be part of the greatest society, because everyone says how great America is, but I feel like fundamentally speaking, it was not it, the greatest freedom-based nation on earth has yet to be created. I feel like we, we, we could still make it. There's so many other things that are out there, and I really hope the best of humanity survives. And, Christ, I hope that you are a part of that. So I wish you and your family a lot of love and peace, and uh, thank you for doing the great job that you're doing putting this information out. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. 
And uh, like I said, uh, anybody wants to check it out, they can go to my you know my channel on YouTube, and uh, I got about fifteen right fifteen hundred videos up there. So there's a lot of information. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our featured guest, Mr. Edward Carswell. Special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Caza, and Ms. Constance Dellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening.